We are uh, in our second week of our Faithcation series, and we're talking about how this summer, rather than taking a vacation from our faith, we can use the activities that we would normally do when we're on vacation. We can use those activities to help us to grow in our relationship with God. And uh, this morning, we come to our uh, talk on summer reading. And with that in mind, I thought I would start off by sharing a few thoughts from some of the world's greatest minds as they pontificate a little bit on the topics of reading and books. Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. (laughs) They laugh more at the second service. Uh, Be careful about reading health books. You may die of a misprint. If you read a lot of books, you're considered well-read. But if you watch a lot of TV, you're not considered well-viewed. I like that one. On a slightly more serious note, though, those of you who have been parents or who have been children have probably heard this one. The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. I like that one. You know, I mean, written for like a five-year-old, the truth in that, you know, uh, Dr. Seuss little book there is, is great. Along a similar line, actually maybe a little bit more sophisticated version of this, uh, E.M. Forrester says, I suggest that the only books that influence us are those for which we are ready and which have gone a little farther down our particular path than we have yet got ourselves. I was thinking about that one this week. The only books that are going to really make a difference in my life are the books that I'm ready to read, that I'm open to, where I'm willing to be challenged and where the author has gone a little bit further down the path that I'm traveling on. You know, it's, it's good, it's fine to read books for entertainment. You know, grab a novel, sit out on the beach and just lose yourself in it and have fun with that. And it's good to read some books that'll help you in your business or in your school. But we need to read some books that are going to challenge us spiritually, that are going to kind of wake us up a little bit, that are going to shake us up a little bit, that are going to help us to take that next step in our journey of faith. And those are the kind of books that change our lives. And uh, this morning, we posted on our blog a list of about 13, 14 different uh, suggested books for summer reading. And... uh, We were talking about maybe having a little uh, book club, and if you read all 13 or 14 of them, Rich will give you a little prize, you know, something like that. I don't know if we're going to do that or not. But let me encourage you, check out the blog, check out the list on on the blog, and pick up one or, you know, or two or three or four of those books. They're available in the cafe. You can get them on Amazon. Uh, You can download them to your Kindle or to your iPad. Just use some of the time that you have this summer to expand your horizons spiritually and to to use this reading to help you grow grow in your relationship with God, to help you to go a little bit further down the particular path that you're traveling on. And like any path that's worth traveling, there's got to be a goal. There's got to be an end point, a purpose to what we're doing. But when you're talking about summer reading... It should be something that we enjoy, not something that tires us out. It should leave us feeling refreshed rather than feeling exhausted. And I like what Henry Ward Beecher says about that. He says, there's a temperate zone in the mind between luxurious indolence and exacting work. And it's to this region, just between laziness and labor, that summer reading belongs. 
Summer reading should be enjoyable. It shouldn't be a chore. It should have a purpose, but it shouldn't feel like work. It should be something that we look forward to, and it should be something that helps us to grow. And from the perspective of being a follower of Christ, when you think about the path that we're on, when you think about the kind of goal that we should have for our summer reading, I can't think of a better goal than growing in our relationship with God, growing closer to Him and becoming more and more like Him, knowing Him better, loving Him more, and loving others as well. And in his biography of Jesus that we know as the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus' disciple Matthew records a discussion between Jesus and some of the Jewish religious leaders. And I wanted to read just a small portion of that in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew writes, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Let me just stop there real quick. The Sadducees and Pharisees were two different groups of Jewish religious leaders, and they were kind of rival groups. They didn't like each other very much. They're always trying to one-up one another, and their dislike for one another was... uh, exceeded only by their dislike for Jesus. And so the Sadducees had tried to trap Jesus. They weren't able to do it. So the Pharisees get together and say, well, we're going to give it a shot and see what we can do. So they asked him a question that was debated over and over and over by the rabbis. Which is the greatest commandment in in the law or in what we know to be the Old Testament? And Jesus replies brilliantly. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the entire what we would know to be as the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus quotes two well-known verses from the Old Testament to, to answer this sort of trick question that they were trying to ask them. And he says the entire Old Testament law and everything that the prophets, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and, and, and men like that wrote, all of that is summed up in these two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Love God with your whole being and obey the golden rule. And if you do that, Jesus says, all the rest falls into place. Everything else, in some sense, can be placed under those two categories of loving God and loving those around us. As you're trying to figure out what you're going to read this summer, make one of your goals to grow in your love for God and your love for people. Choose at least one book that's going to help you to grow in that kind of a way. And our summer reading list has a huge variety of books on it from all sorts of different categories, everything from biography to devotional literature, to things that are designed to expand your mind, to things that are just going to encourage you and challenge you uh, in, spiritually, uh, books that will help you in your relationships with other people, all sorts of different things. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is just highlight a few of those books from a few different categories. I want to start off with biographies, because most of us have read a biography at one point or another, and so often... Reading about somebody else's life can be uplifting, it can be inspirational, it can get us to think about our own life in a really different way as we see and kind of enter into the life that they had lived. 
And uh, there's a great quote by the, uh, the Boston Globe literary critic Mark Feeney. He, he writes, he says, Once the implicit aim of biography was to uplift, now it is to unveil. And you think about so many of the biographies that are written today, you know, the unauthorized biography of so-and-so. What's the point of this unauthorized biography? Is it to to help me to grow? Is it to to really teach me something? Or is it to tear down the person about whom it's written or just entertain or maybe make me feel better about myself as I see what kind of a scumbag they were, you know? But Feeney's saying, no, biography ought to be written in order to lift us up, to help us to grow, to challenge us to think, to, to expand our horizons. And one biography that does that, uh, and that a number of you here at Renaissance have read, is Eric Metaxas' biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Eric actually came and spoke here uh, shortly after the biography was released, and, and uh, folks really loved it. He was able to sign, you know, sign the book and, and that sort of thing. And a number of you I know have, have read that biography. For those of you who haven't, uh, Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany who got involved in the resistance against the Nazis and ultimately paid for it with his life. And Metaxas' biography of Bonhoeffer has ended up being on the New York Times bestseller list and at the top of the charts on Amazon.com. It's long, but it's challenging, it's inspiring, it's encouraging. And if you, if you haven't done so already, if you're up for a little bit of a challenge, go ahead and grab that biography. We, I think we have it in the cafe. And uh, you can go ahead and read that, and I think you'll find it to be helpful. One of my favorite biographies, and I was talking to some folks after uh, the first and second service. I know a number of you have read this one as well. It's called The Hiding Place uh, by a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she was a middle-aged uh, Dutch watchmaker, uh, again, during World War II. And uh, the Nazi, uh, when the Nazis were occupying Holland, uh, she and her family hid some Jews uh, over a period of time in their house. And eventually they were found out, they were arrested, they were sent to concentration camps. Some of the family members actually died in the concentration camps. Corey made it out, and her biography is her looking back on what happened, what they did to hide the Jews, all the, the, you know, the excitement and the terror of that, the time that she spent in the concentration camp and all the horror of that, and how God was faithful to her and how she grew in her love for him and her love even actually for the the Nazis who had captured her and who who had held her captive uh, for a period of time. And if you recall, about three weeks ago, at the end of one of my messages, I read a short excerpt of a woman who had been speaking in a church on forgiveness, and uh, she had been in a concentration camp, and uh, a former guard had come up and said to her, Fraulein, I've become a follower of Christ. Would you forgive me? And the challenge that she had in just sticking her hand out to shake his hand and to offer forgiveness to him. That was Corey Ten Boom. Great biography, and I would encourage you to to grab a copy and uh, read that. There's an inscription over the door at the library in the ancient Greek city of Thebes, and it it reads, Medicine for the Soul. You know, think about that as you're walking into the library, they're saying the books here are medicine for your soul. And a lot of the books on our summer reading list could be described that way uh, in that they can help us to grow spiritually. It was about 20 years ago, I was at a conference uh, in Dallas and there were a number of Christian leaders who were speaking at this conference on all sorts of different topics. 
One of them was a fellow named Chuck Colson, whom some of you have heard of because he was Richard Nixon's hatchet man during the times of uh, Watergate. And he actually uh, ended up going to jail because of the Watergate break-in, spent uh, some time in jail. While he was in prison, he came to faith in Christ and became a follower of Christ and started a ministry called Prison Fellowship that uh, reaches out to prisoners and tells them of the love of Christ and the forgiveness that Christ offers. And he's just got a, a really great ministry. On that particular day, Colson was giving a talk on duty and how we as followers of Christ have a duty to serve God and to obey God and to love those around us. You know, it was, it was a good talk and, uh, you know, kind of an interesting thing. And I was kind of leaning back in my chair listening to his talk. When he finished, this uh, younger kind of no-name pastor from Minnesota uh, got up to become the next speaker. And he started off and he said, you know, I've never spoken at this kind of a conference before, so I'm, I'm not sure about the protocol, but if it's okay to you, and he kind of turned to the host, he said, if it's okay with you, I'd like to disagree with the previous speaker. I felt myself kind of leaning forward in the chair. This will be good. This, this no-name guy's going to disagree with Chuck Colson, who at the time was viewed as you know, a pretty good thinker uh, among uh, Christians. And so for the next 45 minutes, John Piper uh, spoke about how the, Christians, the Christian life ought to be one of delight rather than duty. We ought to desire God rather than feeling obligated to follow him. We ought to love him because we want to, because he is lovable, because he's great, because of, of the grace that he's shown us, rather than out of fear or duty or obligation. And as he was speaking, I found myself sort of conscious of the fact that I was leaning further and further forward in my chair and ultimately ended up leaning against the railing in front of me because I was so engrossed in what he was saying. And what was interesting about it is I didn't fully agree with what Piper was saying. In fact, a lot of it I didn't like, but I felt like it was challenging me and I wanted to agree with it, but I wanted to argue as well. And as it turned out, Almost the entire conference felt the same way. And after he got finished speaking, they had a time for questions and answers where you could ask questions of any one of the conference speakers. Every question went to John Piper because of what he had said, because the things he was talking about were so radically different than most of us had ever heard that we just wanted to understand it better. So I left the conference went home, went to the library, grabbed a copy of his book called Desiring God, where he fleshes out uh, this idea that uh, the Christian life ought to be one of desire rather than one of duty. Stayed up till three or four in the morning reading this book because I couldn't put it down. And at this point in, in my life now, I'd say it's probably one of the top five books that have been most influential to me in terms of growing in my relationship with God. And that's the power of being willing to let being willing to let yourself read something that you don't necessarily agree with. Being willing to read something written by someone who's a little bit further down the path than you are and letting them challenge you, letting them point you to things that you might not have thought of yourself. And by doing that, it expanded my understanding of who God is, of the kind of love that he has for me, and the kind of relationship 
that I can have with him. And so that's, that's why we've got John Piper's Desiring God uh, on our reading list. That's why we've got so many of the books that we do on our reading list, because they're going to expand our horizons, make us think differently, and ultimately help us to grow spiritually. Another life-changing book is The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Uh, Keller's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in New York City, and he's written a number of different books. We've actually used The Prodigal God for a discussion group here at Renaissance a couple of years ago, and several of the people who were in that group said for them, reading and discussing that book was life-changing. And, and what Keller does in that book is he takes the familiar story of the prodigal son and he looks at it through fresh eyes and he helps us to see how we can be either or both of the younger brother and the older brother in the parable. And if you're not familiar with that, go ahead and, and look up the parable, read it, but then grab the book. It's a, it's a short book, it's an easy read, but it's something that's going to really make you think and really challenge your understanding of your relationship with God, again, like, like uh, John Piper's book did for me. So again, that's another great book for you to, t- to take a look at, uh, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Summer reading can be inspirational, like when you read a biography. It can be uh, spiritually transforming, like when you read uh, uh, this book by Tim Keller or the book by John Piper that I mentioned. And it can also feed our minds. Richard Steele says, reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. Reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God does not want us to check our brains at the door when we walk up these stairs. God does not want us to shut off our minds when we're reading books about having a relationship with him or when we're reading the Bible. He doesn't want us to throw our heads out the window when we're talking with one another about what it means to be a follower of Christ. God gave us our minds and he wants us to use them. And when we use them and when we think deeply about spiritual things, when we think deeply about who we are and who he is and what our relationship with him could and should be and can be and what our relationships with one another can be, when we use our minds in those ways, that's when real transformation can occur. When we feed our minds with the right kind of food, that's when we can grow spiritually. And some of the books on our list are designed to help you to do just that. One of those is written, again, by this pastor in New York called, named Tim Keller. It's called The Reason for God, and it's a great one for feeding your mind. Keller starts off in the book with seven different issues or questions that people often have when they're thinking about faith in God and some of the challenges that people bring up about uh, whether faith in God is rational, whether it's, whether it's reasonable for us to believe in issues and things that we have on that. And then he spends the second half of the book looking at seven different arguments for faith in God and why we can have rationally have faith in Christ. It's a challenging book. It's a thought-provoking book, but it's written by a pastor who recognizes the importance of not just focusing on the mind, but on focusing on the heart and focusing on the life. So he addresses these questions through the mind, but he shows how they can practically be lived out in our day-to-day lives. 
Another uh, book that uh, can feed your mind is uh, Uncensored Truth by Judd Wilhite. Judd is the pastor of Central Christian Church in Las Vegas. It's one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the country. I think about 20,000 people uh, worship with them uh, every weekend. And uh, his book is a little bit lighter than Keller's book. It's a little bit shorter. What he does is he looks at some of the core beliefs of Christianity, explains what they mean, and tells us how they can make a difference in our day-to-day lives. And if you're, especially if you're just kind of starting off trying to discover more about Christianity, that's a great book to kind of get a basic understanding of, of the core beliefs of the Christian faith and how they relate to our daily lives. Our summer reading list also includes a couple of books that can be helpful to you in relationships uh, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your family. And uh, one of those is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And uh, essentially what he's doing is he's taking this idea of the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, and expanding on it and showing us how we can show love to one another in a meaningful way. For example, if I enjoy playing golf, I'd love for you to take me to play golf. So I think, okay, I'll take you to play golf. But the problem is if you don't like to play golf then I'm not showing love to you in a meaningful way. If you like to go to a Broadway show, I should take you to a Broadway show. If you like to sit and talk, I should sit and talk with you. If you like to, you know, I ought to think about what's meaningful to you and show you love in that particular way. And Chapman goes through five different love languages. For example, words of affirmation or physical touch or acts of service. It gives different examples of how on a practical way we can show meaningful love to those that we care about. So if your love language is acts of service and I tell you, you know, till the, till the cows come home how much I like and love and appreciate you, that's not nearly so meaningful as if I serve you in a way that makes a difference in your life and vice versa. So it's a great book in terms of practically knowing how we can show to love to one another in a way that's meaningful to them. All these things, biographies, books that challenge our minds, books that challenge us spiritually, books that tell us uh, practical ideas for how we can love one another better. All those are great. All those are good. And let me encourage and challenge you to read at least one of those this summer. But by far, the most important book that we as followers of Christ can and should and, and ought to be reading is the book that was written by the God whom we serve. And we know that, obviously, as the Bible. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, there is no better way, in terms of our summer reading, than spending some regular time reading the Bible. I love what the Old Testament King David says about the Bible. In Psalm 19, he writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I love what David says there. He says that... 
God's, God's word, the Bible, refreshes our soul. It makes us wise. It brings us joy. It helps us to see clearly. And David is talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all he had was the first five books of the Old Testament. A book about how God created the world. A book about the Israelites being led out of Egypt. The book of Leviticus tells you things like, what do you do if your house gets leprosy? You know, numbers, counts of sheep and goats and, you know, and things like that. And Deuteronomy, getting ready to enter into the promised land. Those five books, David says, these books bring me joy. They enlighten my eyes. They tell me about the greatness of the God whom I serve and whom I follow. And if David's that excited, if to him those books are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Imagine when we've got the other 61 books of the Bible, when we've got the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us about Jesus, the God who became man to, because he loved us so much that he died for us. We've got other books in the New Testament that talk about the joy that we can have as followers of Christ or the challenges that we can face. We've got all of that. We've got the Psalms that David wrote. He didn't have them because he was writing them. When we've got all of that, what kind of joy, what kind of encouragement, what kind of challenge can we have as we read the Bible? And so if you aren't already in the habit of reading the Bible, let me encourage you to begin that habit this summer. There's a great website called uversion.com, and it's got 154 different plans for reading the Bible. So however you want to do it, they've got a plan for it. They've got one that'll take you through the entire Bible in 90 days. They've got another one that'll take you through the Bible in in, the entire Bible in a year. They've got another one that covers the New Testament, another one that covers the Gospels. They've got one that'll give you one verse each day and a devotional thought if you've only got just a few minutes in the morning perhaps to get your day started. They've got another plan that's great if you're just trying to figure out who God is, and what it means to have a relationship with him. And they've got all sorts of different English translations. I know a number of you have their app on your iPhone, your BlackBerry, your Android, your iPad. You can read your Bible when you're on the train. Uh, You can read it at home. You know, all sorts of different options. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to have a Bible with you at some point during your day in some way, shape, or form so that you can read it. Let me encourage you, whether you use the YouVersion website, whether you grab a paper Bible uh, that's in, in the cafe and just open up to page one and start reading. This is the book that our God has given to us to help us to know who he is, how much he loves us, how we can have a relationship with him, and how we can live our lives as his followers. Let me encourage you to make reading the Bible part of your summer faithcation reading. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, whether today is the first day that you have been in church, maybe in your entire life, maybe in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or whether you you can't remember a day when you didn't believe in God, when you didn't want to know Him better, when you weren't growing in your relationship with Him, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been a follower of Christ your whole life, let me encourage you, Amidst all the other activities that you're doing this summer, take some time, make some time to read at least one book that's going to help you to grow in your relationship with God and make some time
to read the Bible on a regular, ideally on a daily basis, even if it's just a few minutes every day. Take a look at our blog. Pick one of the books from the summer reading list. Grab it in the cafe. Order it on Amazon.com. Be intentional in your summer reading. Use it as an opportunity to grow spiritually. Don't take a vacation from your faith. Use your vacation as a means to help you to grow in your faith. Let me pray for us. Father, what a privilege it is to live in an age when we have literally thousands of books that are written by thousands of authors who are a little bit further down the path in some area of our spiritual growth than we are. Father, I pray that each of us would make the time this summer to allow ourselves to be challenged, whether it's uh, in terms of our thinking about you, whether it's in terms of our relationships with other people, whether it's how we might grow spiritually, whether, whether it's about what it means to love you. I pray that we would make the time to read some books this summer that could help us to grow in our relationship with you. I pray, too, that we'd make the time to read the Bible so we can get a deeper understanding of who you are and who you've made us to be and how we can have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray as we do this reading, both in the Bible and some of these other books, I pray that more and more and more we would find that following you is, is a delight rather than a duty. It's something that we would desire rather than something we feel obligated to do. And I pray that as we have our minds renewed by the things we, we read, I pray that our lives would be transformed that our love for you would grow and that you would work through us to show that love for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.